With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Acts chapter 4, verse 33. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Dowd. And I'm Reagan Gilliland. And this is Off Script, the podcast where every week we take a deeper dive on last Sunday's sermon, talk about the theology behind it, and get a chance to discuss anything that ended up on the cutting room floor. This is actually the next to last episode of season one. Yes. Yeah. So we're wrapping up our Faith Matters, not Faith Matters, sermon series today. And then uh, we're going to take two weeks off. Just because of our schedules. Yes. We're busy people. We're very busy, important people. Exactly. And then in early June, come back with a wrap-up episode of season one that's not going to be tied to any particular sermon, but just going to be a reflection on where we've been over the past year. And then our amazing communications team is going to be doing some special projects over the summer, uh, which is going to take a fair amount of time. And then we'll resume off script next, uh, I guess, in August with our back-to-school sermon series. Yeah. Which is what we started with yeah. last August. Yeah. So it just makes sense. Yes. So we're wrapping up Faith Matters, mm-hmm. and we're talking about our common mission. I wish you could see his head tilt when he says it. Faith <laughs> Matters? <laughs> anyway. Um, no, it's been a good journey. I've enjoyed listening to all the different theologians, and so now I have more books to read yeah, yeah. and more people to, <laughs> to dig into. The biography of St. Francis I would highly recommend. It's a fast read, the one that I referenced in the sermon, mm-hmm. by Donald Spoto, S-P-O-T-O. He's, actually, he's, a the, he's theologically trained, but he's actually a biographer, like a pop, a pop, like what's the word, a popular figure biographer. You know, he's not like a, he hasn't focused necessarily on religious figures, although he did one on Jesus. But before that, he had done like Alfred Hitchcock and some other. Oh, folk. okay. So he's he writes in kind of a, in a secular way, so it's, it reads like a secular biography. Yeah, it's only a couple hundred, hundred pages long, and, but it's really really good. I'm okay. planning on rereading it. So, question: Now that I know you read so much, are you fast? Are you really a fast reader? I am not oh. a fast reader. Um, okay. I my uh, my oldest son Max mm-hmm. reads constantly. I'm amazed by how fast that kid goes through a book. Uh, it takes me a while, uh, partly because I work on, I'm on several different books at a time, mm-hmm. you know, so I, like I have, I like to read fiction in bed before I go to sleep. I obviously read stuff for sermon preparation. And then I try to read, um, some other, like, so whatever, so I'd read, this is more than you wanted to know. No, I want, I'm curious. <laughs> but that whatever I'm working on for the sermon, I'm reading something for that. I'm typically reading a book, um, like an additional book. Um, the cross in the lynching tree is a perfect example of mm-hmm. that. That ended up being preparation for a sermon, but I had read that over Lent. And then I'm listening typically to a book on Audible. I just finished, um, it's not a commercial for Audible. I listened to an audio book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where do we go from here? Uh, MLK's last book, which was published posthumously. How about you? You read fast? Yeah, I do read pretty fast, which I've, I'm trying to train myself to read a little bit slower because I feel like my comprehension is getting older and I feel like my brain doesn't work anymore. 76. 76 as my daughter's put on my mother's day <laughs> gift. Um, so I'm trying to like slow down, but I'm like you, I read a lot of books at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't help me remember as much. Mm-hmm. So I need to be better about that. And that's all about how we read books. Yeah. <laughs> in case you were wondering. <laughs> it was fun. Okay. So let's go ahead and actually get into the scripture that, yeah. so you read two. So the first one 
It's Acts 4, 32 through 37. Yeah. And so, um, do you want Which wanna... is, uh, the paraphrase there yeah. is sell all your stuff. Yeah. Pool your resources. Mm-hmm. Give it to the church leaders and let them divvy it up as they see fit. Yeah. So we're going to start implementing that. <laughs> That's our stewardship My bank team. account number is... <laughs> Um, no. Um, so I, I, that's funny. And it is in the lectionary. Like I didn't just pick that out of the air. Like that's a recommended uh, lectionary text. So (laughs) what, so what specifically about Jesus teachings made them do that? And was it really that radically different from what maybe like Jews had been doing? I'm just curious of why that was like such a shift. So can you talk about both of those? So here's what, here's what, there's lots of things that are relevant here. It's a okay. really good question. And I'm glad we're unpacking it because when you when you read it, <laughs> as 21st century Americans kind of steeped in the economic system of capitalism, um, for whom tithing 10% is a tough sell, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. And it's not what, what's interesting about the passage where it's located in Acts is that the very next chapter, we get the story, the very next verses after that little passage that we read first is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And they don't do that. Okay. Uh, and they end up dead. <laughs> so once again, my bank account, if you don't want to end up dead. Nope. And it, but the point is, um, I think the way the reason that this author kind of puts this story together the way he does is an acknowledgement that whatever the ideal kind of community of the, of the earliest days, that that's not the way, it, I mean, this is just a glimpse of a, of a, of the way particular disciples functioned. Okay. It's very clear when you read the rest of Acts that this is, it was not like a big commune. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Um, but the author of Acts also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke is the um, gospel that is the most focused on care for the poor. Okay. Hands down. I mean, Jesus is very, like, there's... Uh, both Matthew and Luke have a version of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in Matthew, it's the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, it's the Sermon on the Plain. So in Matthew, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm-hmm. Right? Anybody can be poor in spirit. Yeah. No matter what your bank account is. In Luke, it's blessed are the poor. Mm-hmm. And like there's this very strong economic emphasis. Scholars think that he was writing to a, um, a community on the margins, a community of the poor. And so he was very focused on the, the proper use of money okay. and uh, more so than, the other, than the, the other three gospels. And so when he writes the story of the early church, it's a point of emphasis and it comes up a few times, but it's also clear that there were wealthy patrons in the church. Um, by the way, frequently women mm-hmm. who were wealthy, who were who supported the work of the church, either hosting in their house or providing financial assistance to Paul or whatever. So um, this is an idealized portrait of the early church. And the reason I think it works so well with St. Francis, who's our theologian, is because, uh, and I mentioned this in the sermon, I'm not interested in the vow of poverty, but I still find Francis's example, Francis's, Francis's example, um, (laughs) compelling because it's this radical example of discipleship. And I think that's the same kind of thing is going on here in Acts. Okay. So I do, I mean, I do appreciate that. Um, so I think it's verse 35. They laid it at the apostles' feet and was distributed to each as any had need. And so I do think, looking at it in modern terms, okay, how do we how do we see people's needs and how do we meet those? So as Christ followers, like, 
we need to pay attention to those around us that have needs. Right. Um, which inspires us to do mission and serve and all that. Yeah, for sure. And that's the way. So the next passage that we read from five, chapter five, we skipped the Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira story. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's about healing. And there's a really kind of charming story where they <laughs> they put their sick people in, in the streets just so that Peter's shadow might fall on them. And yeah, they which is one of my questions <laughs> later. So we're going to get to that. Um, but the, the the combination of those two passages, both the economic outreach, clearly like the helping the poor mm-hmm. and then healing the sick, that it's a, these are two examples of how the church was uh, outward focused. It was focused on not just spiritual needs, but, but actual, you know, um, human like physical needs yeah. as well. Yeah. So what does that look like? I mean, what are some small ways we can do that, mimic this model in 2021? Yeah, so one of the things, this is, you know, every every church has its unique identity. Every congregation has its unique identity. Every congregation has things it does really well and then things it probably needs to work on. I think that um, in terms of service, in terms of being outward focused, this has long been a strength of Christ United. And, um, you know, I, I try not to be uh, proud, <laughs> so I, but I'm grateful for all the, the ways that we are in community with the, or in outreach to the community. So, and I listed a whole bunch of them in the sermon. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we are in ministry with the homeless. We're in ministry with, uh, with families who need kind of a reset on their lives through Project Hope. Um, we, we meet physical needs like hunger, uh, mm-hmm. repair of houses, um, so there's a long, long list of ways that we specifically are in ministry with the community and with the world. Uh, the connection to um, like physical healing, I think for me, is our vision of light team, mm-hmm. our prescription eyeglass ministry, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. So any of those ways uh, would be a great way for people to plug in and lives out the, the ethos of the early church. I think it's really, it's quite remarkable. You know, the probably the most highly visible thing we've done ever here is house on the corner yeah which we you know we didn't we stopped doing um after maybe a 10-year run or whatever Mm -hmm. long it was um because uh the community where we were building those houses we ran out of places to (laughs) buy land yeah and that's an expensive project but we would we would actually build the house here at the church yeah and then move it (laughs) to where it was going to go yeah i mean that's just that's incredible Mm-hmm. That's that really does capture the ethos of the early church. Yeah, and I think uh, piggybacking off of like last week talking about co- you know our community and and um, honestly kind of being a good neighbor. I mean, I think just being aware of people that you live around that need that need help, whatever you know, whatever ways. Um, whether you're like, oh, my new neighbor had a baby, bring them food. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, just being aware and you can, you can meet very, what you think are small needs better, make a really big impact. So, I mean, during the storm, we had neighbors, uh, one of whom was a church member, is a church member, Mm -hmm. one of whom's not. Our our water was out for a a few days um, because a pipe burst Mm -hmm. and, you know, they brought us food. One neighbor let us come take a shower at their place. I mean, it was, it doesn't have to just be in crisis. But yeah. certainly uh, being aware of our, the needs of our neighbors yeah, is important. For sure. Um, okay, so can you read, you had a really great quote from William, William Willimon. Yeah. And so can you, it, the most eloquent, can you read that mm-hmm. quote? Yeah, this is, so this, 
I've quoted him a couple times in this sermon series. He wrote a commentary on Acts for the interpretation series. That's a little bit of an older series. It's specifically for preaching and teaching. And Will Willimon is awesome. I saw him live, um, in, like in person, at uh, the Festival of Homiletics back in 2011. And he's just really, he's very compelling. He's super opinionated. Uh, he's written a lot. I've read a fair amount of what he said. And his commentary on Acts is very good. So he says on the passage, specifically the passage about, you know, pooling everything you have and mm-hmm. giving it to the poor. Uh, the most eloquent testimony to the reality of the resurrection is not an empty tomb or a well-orchestrated pageant on Easter Sunday. It's a great line. The most eloquent testimony to the reality of the resurrection is not an empty tomb or a well-orchestrated pageant on Easter Sunday, but rather a group of people whose life together is so radically different, so completely changed from the way the world builds a community, that there can be no explanation other than that something decisive has happened in history. It's a good quote. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. And it's very Wesleyan. Like John Wesley... Uh, are works necessary for salvation? No. <laughs> are works the inevitable result of your salvation? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you want to know how good your faith is, according to Wesley, look at your life. Mm-hmm. If your life's all about you, there's probably something wrong with your faith. Yeah. Dang. And Wesley was super opinionated too. I mean, yeah. he, he didn't pull any punches. <laughs> okay. Um, so do you have any kind of when you see a group of people that uh, claim to be Christians or even for yourself, you know, what do you think are big markers that um, show that we act different, that our life is not like other people, I guess? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of ways to think about that. Okay. But you could go to the fruit of the Spirit mm-hmm. in Galatians. Can you name them? This is a quiz. Oh, geez. Patience. Let's see. Patience, love, kind- joy, peace, patience, patience kindness, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The only reason I can do that is because humor. It's in, it's in my daily prayers. <laughs> so that's a, like that's what that's how I check in for me. Like yeah. it's, in my daily prayers, I pray for evidence of the Holy Spirit, and I list them to remind myself mm-hmm. <laughs> that when I'm not being gentle and not being loving and not being patient, then yeah, I probably need to, you know, connect with God more. Okay. But then I would just say in general, if you're, I mean, um, love, faith, hope, and love abide these three and the greatest of these is love. That's Mm -hmm. Paul in first Corinthians. Um, you can think about it in terms of compassion. You can think of it in terms of mercy. You can think of it in terms of justice. There's lots of, of biblical, Mm -hmm. uh, imagery and phrases to use, but in general, I think it's, the extent to which your life is self-centered or others-centered. Okay. And, and that, that can be a fine line because, you, you know, like, that's easy for me to say as a, as the husband, father, dad, like, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, give more of yourself yeah. is, is a tough sell for, <laughs> like, like, a callback to last week for the 51% of young mothers who were experiencing terrible loneliness or serious loneliness. Right. They're probably giving a lot to others, like the little humans that they're caring for. Right. So, I'm, you know, I got to nuance that a little bit. But um, in general, uh, if your if your life is all about you, that's probably time for a like a spiritual check. Okay. So I know, like, you grew up with the faith. Like, you grew up Catholic. Mm-hmm. Your family was very 
involved, very devoted. But do you th- are there any big markers in your life? They're like, oh, I can definitely see where I was kind of transformed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and this is really good. This is a really good question. The, well, like as you look back on your life, the things that jump out as yeah. the moments when uh, you had an aha or an epiphany or whatever. Uh, a lot of that has to do with when we found the Methodist Church. Honestly, you know, okay. we, Whitney and I had been looking around for um, a church home, and uh, I knew a lot about the Catholic Church, a lot about the Orthodox Church, fair amount about the Episcopal Church, and we had tried several things. And Whit recommended um, uh, we try Methodist Church. So we went to Arapahoe, and we like we immediately uh, that immediately clicked, and okay. we started doing service stuff. You know, we volunteered to like. So Arapahoe had um, uh, a partnership with Warren United Methodist Church where we would go down and provide support while um, first-generation immigrants were meeting with immigration lawyers through JFON, Justice for Our Neighbors. Okay. Um, and we would, like, the, our gig was to play with the kids mm-hmm. <laughs> while their parents were meeting with these immigration lawyers. Um, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. And here's how I knew that this was not about me. Notre Dame and Purdue were pay- playing that day. <laughs> okay. Specifically. And that's a big, I mean, listen, I, my, I'm, I, my, on my list of things that I love, Notre Dame football is pretty high. Yeah. And my wife's. Yeah, she went to Purdue, right? So, yeah. So yep. missing the Notre Dame Purdue game, this is before Tebow, if you can believe that. Uh huh. But Tebow, does anybody even remember Tebow? So yeah. before you could record stuff easily, like <laughs> right. you had to put a cassette in the VCR to record a game. So this was like a. I know this sounds very, very like a first world problem, but this was a sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> for me to go out and volunteer to hang out with these kids while Notre Dame was playing. Um, and I, it didn't really dawn on me until um, our pastor at the time, Jack, um, he wasn't he wasn't able to be at this particular gathering, but he called us afterwards and he's like, did you, were you guys, did y'all volunteer for that? And I said, yeah, he's like, did you miss the Notre Dame game? Like he even, he, even yeah. that, he's not a sports fan, but even then he knew that was a big deal. So that was, that was an aha. Um, we, you know, we started volunteering with the youth shortly after we joined Arapahoe. And uh, the first time we were on a retreat with the youth, the first time we were on a mission trip with the youth. I mean, these were, these were moments where we're like, okay, uh, the Holy Spirit, look, looking back on it, the Holy Spirit is doing something here that is unexpected um, and pretty special really mm-hmm. yeah. my call to ordained ministry would fall in that category sure. um you know when you have kids like all of a sudden your life becomes not about you anymore mm-hmm. yeah okay how about you so for me i think probably the biggest thing was i remember in college when i was really growing in leaps and bounds it was just the the feeling of um wanting to say sorry when I knew I did something wrong, like mm. owning up to it, going to the person and being bold, not blowing things off, which probably if my husband listened to this, which he, he probably won't, but like he like, wait, you used to say sorry really easily. <laughs> like you would actually, you know, cause that's my big thing. He's <laughs> always like, why don't you just say sorry? It takes you forever to do it. <laughs> um, but just being aware of, um, just really compelled with forgiveness, I think was a big thing. And then probably, probably in the last 10 years really moving outside of myself and being aware of people's needs and people's experiences and not being so wrapped up in myself 
Um, I think that's kind of been a big marker in the last decade for mm-hmm. me, for sure. Um, I, I don't know if I share this. I feel like when, when you're in like, um, evangelical for a long time, like that's where I got kind of my first, uh, glimpse into, to knowing who Christ was. I feel like it was really self-focused, like work on yourself, especially the pressure of like, you need to make sure you become, prepare yourself to be a good wife. It was all about that. Like, oh, wow. think about yourself. Oh, like, like, you know, so that was just so, all I wanted to do was make sure that I was a good, a good, I was going to be a good wife oh, someday. My God. Yeah. So it was all about myself. Make sure that I'm good, you know? And so. But it wasn't all about you. It was about your. I know. About how you were going <laughs> to be a good wife. Are you free? Oh my God. <laughs> so it didn't work. Scott can that tell you. That's terrible theology. <laughs> yeah. It didn't work. Scott could tell you. No. He'd be like, can you go back to that class or what was that? No, just kidding. Um, but I just think about, man, I didn't, they weren't like, hey, let's mm. think about other people in the world that have like, mm. have hunger. Like it was just about, think about what you're doing so you can be a good one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's been a major shift to mm. be like, oh, so I don't know, moving outside of myself. Mm. So yeah. You know who never talked about how to be a good wife? Who? Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't. Wasn't in there. I've read the Gospels many times. Yeah, not in there. Saddleback Church, you know, you've followed this whole controversy. So Rick Warren's church uh, ordained three women. Yeah, I saw that. So Rick Warren. the blowback by some folks have been, by some evangelical quote-unquote leaders, has been um, like just so overtly misogynistic. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just... It always it always catches me off guard when people are that kind of overtly sexist. Did you? I shared a funny thing last night about <laughs> what was it? It was help me out. What no. did I say? You said, "Isn't it absurd that the gospel can be told by an animated tomato, but not a real life woman?" <laughs> <laughs> That's a good. That's good. And then uh, one of my friend's pastor's <laughs> wife, she texted me. She's like. But I mean, he was a man. <laughs> and I was like, "You would, you would." <laughs> it was a male tomato. Yeah, <laughs> a male, a male tomato. A male tomato. Oh man, <laughs> good stuff. Um, okay, let's talk about Francis. Yeah, Francis is awesome. I know you love him. I do. So, um, tell us how you kind of first um, got introduced to him. Any of their favorite quotes, and then talk about a little bit more about Claire. You didn't get to talk a lot about her as much. Yeah. So. Um, you know, I think people, I think most Christians are probably familiar, at least tangentially with St. Francis. I mean, you know, the the reputation, a lot of, so a lot of people end up thinking of connecting him to animals and bird baths and stuff like that. Right. (laughs) A lot of people have him in their garden. Yeah. Um, and certainly that, that strain of his interest in, in ecology and animals, um, is, charming but it's reflective of his theology that everything belongs like mm-hmm. that everything is of god and there's nothing in this world that's not of god and his uh that same kind of theology you know for for francis i just finished a, a course online with richard Rohr about franciscan spirituality and it's just it's just really really good i mean I, it confirmed for me the reasons i resonate with him so mm-hmm. much um for him it was about the incarnation much more than it was about uh, the cross. I mean, the cross is an important part of the story, but the point is that God became one of us. And so his, for Francis, it was all about Christmas mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to, not as opposed to Easter, but yeah. like the emphasis of like the whole notion that God would become a human being is radical. Yeah. And it's, and it should affect the way we look at the world. 
And so when he goes to Egypt to try to convert the sultan, I mean, that that is some bold stuff. Right. <laughs> and we think of him as meek and mild, but he he wasn't. I mean, he, he you know, he went to um I mean, I guess he was he was humble, but that's not the same thing. You know, so he argued his case to the pope. I mean, he wasn't afraid of powerful people. He came from a his father was a wealthy merchant, so you know he was familiar with the corridors of power in Assisi. And so, um, if for him, the reason he's all about peace and didn't was not afraid to embrace a leper and cared very deeply about uh, the needs of the poor mm-hmm. is that everything belongs because because God became one of us. Like there's this really strong connection between the incarnation and uh, all of the rest of his theology. So Claire was also from Assisi. She was younger than him. And she um, wanted to, like once he started the his order, um, and it's it's the order of the friars minor. He didn't want them to be priests. Okay. Because he didn't want them to be leaders in the church. And he wanted them to remember that God was the big deal. They were not. Okay. <laughs> and so the friar's minor means don't think too much of yourself. Yeah. And um, Claire then uh, like is so captivated by his theology that she wants to, to have, like she wants to be part of it, but she's not a man, obviously. And so yeah. he also, he started the order of the friar's minor and the order of the, what's called the poor Claire's. And um, we've got uh, in seminary, Paul Maletic, our pastor of, uh, Youth and Family Ministries and I were talking about this because he's preaching. He preached in Table of Grace last mm-hmm. weekend. We both had the same book. Um, it came out in the mid '80s. It's the complete writings of both Francis and Claire, with an introduction and commentary by a couple of uh, Franciscan scholars. <clears throat> um, I focused on Francis just because it would take a long time to explain Claire. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, but I definitely wanted to mention her because, in terms of how his his theology, like. Uh, stayed alive and then and then spread mm-hmm. the fact that like she stayed deeply committed to it to the, until the pope i think it was even like the night before she died finally granted her own rule of her own the, the order that that francis had started through her and it's all the same kind of theology this you know emphasis on poverty and peace and care for the sick and that kind of thing okay so what are the i think are there a couple books that you've read yeah, so the well, the one I would recommend is Reluctant Saint. I mean, that's all about that's all about Francis. Okay. Um, the the complete writings of Francis and Claire are that's that's a little more pedantic. You know what I mean? Okay. Like that's a little more. Um, you kind of kind of you have to be a theology nerd to appreciate okay. that. I think. Okay. I reread it <laughs> in preparation for this just because I I'm totally enchanted by their yeah theology. Man. Okay. Um. So, I want to go back to something you said about Francis. So. Yes, I think people think of him as this gentle, meek, mild sort of guy, but he was really bold. Bold. And so what does that mean for us that maybe identify as a pacifist or or whatever? Are we supposed to be not bold and courageous? Like, you know, what do you think Francis kind of teaches you about still being compassionate and kind, oh, but man. also... Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, so his life, the, the rule that he wrote for the... Order of the Friars Minor begins with this is the life of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he, and he, like, his point is this is the way you should live. And it's not about, (laughs) 
like to to hold true to those principles to to be willing to embrace the leper in what would that be 12th century or 13th century italy um that's courageous okay (laughs) right i mean he uh being a pacifist is a is a courageous stance um Mm -hmm. I don't see any any kind of incompatibility with pacifism and and courage. I mean, you know, like battlefield courage, where you're, um, like, the definition of courage is not that you're not afraid. The definition yeah. of courage is that you're afraid and you do what you need to do anyway. Yeah, that can apply to the most bold soldier on the field. Um, and I and I mentioned in the book that I'm personally not a pacifist. Um, I mean, not in the book in the in the sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't think like that. That doesn't mean that I lack respect for the pacifist position. Okay. And, and for Francis, uh, I mean, if you read the go- the Gospel of Matthew, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, Jesus is pretty clear. I mean, turn the other cheek mm-hmm. kind of eliminates <laughs> the possibility of going to war. Yeah. Um, now, there's a whole separate conversation about <laughs> what your wars are justified and is the is the state ever justified in the use of force and that kind of thing. Um, but in terms of the, the way you personally live out your discipleship. Um, I think Francis is incredibly courageous. Okay. Did Martin Luther King like read Francis? I know you love, or I don't uh, know. That's a good question. So nonviolence was his, like he was a, an adherent of nonviolence. He was more uh, influenced by Gandhi. Okay. Because they were contemporaries, essentially mm-hmm. or kind of contemporaries. Yeah. Um, I don't know about. I've, I've never read in any of. Think about this. I've read a lot of MLK. Right. That's what I, th- I um, thought you might know. I don't know that there's an overt connection there. Actually. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious. Good question. Because I think people are like, yeah, you know, Martin Luther. Martin Luther was, yeah, nonviolent, so gentle, but like he also was bold. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just no, there's like, not a lack of courage. There. Right. Just like Francis <laughs> was. I mean, going to these big, powerful leaders, like. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, I do want to talk about that second passage that you read from Acts 5, 12 yeah. through 16. I'm just curious, the the verse, let's see. Yeah, I'll just read it. So chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were done among the people through the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Are you like, what's that about? Yeah, so what is that? <laughs> um, <laughs> so this is one of those places in sermon writing where you got to, pick your battles yeah right like there's clearly scholars disagree over what what's going on there so none of the rest who are who are the rest like is it the rest of the people is it the rest of the disciples okay like, who, who who exactly are we talking yeah about? that's i was kind of confused about but this the the point of the of that is that the apostles were held like the power of the holy spirit was so clear in the work of those early apostles specifically peter at this point okay um because you know he's kind of the star of the show in the early, uh, the early part of Acts, it shifts to Paul later, um, and the other disciples, the other apostles, like the disciples have become the become the apostles. Have we talked about that? So a disciple is a follower, an apostle is one who is sent. And yes. so after the resurrection, you can think of those earliest eleven remaining. Mm-hmm. Then they replace them in early Acts. They replace Judas, so they're yes. back to twelve, and then their apostles being sent to the ends of. Um. But they like the power of the Holy Spirit was so evident that it was a bit intimidating, and so okay. th- th- you get this thing um, where they think that even st- even Peter's shadow had the power to heal. Mm-hmm. That's not about Peter; that's about God working through Peter. 
Does it make sense? Yeah, no. And it just, it was funny reading that, like, man, they just wanted the shadow to pass over, yeah. <laughs> which is, I mean, I guess you think about uh, the woman who just touches Jesus's robe, yeah. that same kind of, yeah, yeah. even just, and the power when, um, is it when Jesus heals, is it a boy or a girl when he's not even present and he tells yeah. the dad, yeah. oh yeah, they're healed. And yeah. he wasn't even like in the same room. Right. Just that power. Well, and you're making an important connection there. So what, I mean, Acts is making a really kind of astonishing claim that the same things Jesus did, mm-hmm. we can do. Yeah. Because it's about the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how many people actually believe that these days, right? I mean, so, you know, we're, the whole healing thing gets a little complicated. Yeah. Uh, there are faith healers, clearly. I think a lot of people would consider most faith healers to be charlatans. Okay. <laughs> right? But but this is what the evidence in Acts is that the the mission of the Holy Spirit is so powerful mm-hmm. and so essential to the life of the church that we can do far more than we think we can. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. I love this other part from your sermon, and I'd love for you to elaborate. Um, you say, let's see. I'm inspired by Francis because in his life, an example, I see perhaps most clearly and certainly most radically a life of prayerful devotion to our common mission, mm-hmm. which is to live for God and for others as mm-hmm. best we can today in our present circumstances. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean for us? <laughs> Whitney and I, you know, I always run the sermons by Whitney and um, she's like, I don't like that phrase, spiritual heroes. I like I don't, that, that, that phrase doesn't resonate with me because okay. I, right before this in the sermon I talk about, I've got three spiritual heroes. Mm-hmm. I've got MLK is one of them <clears throat> for specific reasons. Wesley is obviously one of them for specific reasons. But then Francis is, has been my lifelong, like I've just always been captivated by him. And, um, you know, what's funny about that, the more I got thinking about it, MLK and John Wesley were not unexpected. Like you, their pedigrees were such that you could look at their life and say, well, sure. I mean, it makes sense. Their their whole life was a preparation for being a spiritual giant. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're preacher's kids. They're brilliant. They're raised in the church. They're reformers. Like the, these things that all mean a lot to me. Yeah. Francis is something totally different. Like he, he was a total screw up for the first half of his life. And then he gets this, has this epiphany, has this, this, um, conversion experience at that church in San Damiano. And he, and he totally buys in. Like he has this total change of life, this 180. And, um, he goes from being this self-indulgent kind of spoiled rich kid to this guy that's a hundred percent sold out for his understanding of the gospel. It's, um, like, I don't have that kind of boldness, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's not how I'm wired. Um, and I, but the way that, the way that he is authentic to what he, how he interprets the gospel mm-hmm. is, uh, just, it's just really, really inspiring. And while I'm not going to go join, I haven't been convinced yet to take a vow of poverty mm-hmm. <laughs> or to become a pacifist. I'm not going to become a monk. Mm-hmm. Um, but that same kind of passion for the gospel can be lived out in our lives. And it, and it just, it, we just, it shows up differently for us in 21st century America. Yeah. Um, obviously I'm a company man. I think we should be completely committed to the church. 
I think we should be, comp- be committed to our small groups. I think we should be the ones signing up to take meals to people who need them. I think we need to find whatever our passion is in terms of service and be committed to that. Obviously, I think generosity is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's unique for each of us and that the Holy Spirit speaks to each of us uniquely, uh, individually. And um, the, the art of living is to listen deeply to that and then live it out. And in Francis, we get this just, just incredible role model for how, how I mean, for um, the depth to which we can accept the leading of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I just, it's awesome. Yeah. I just think some people probably read that and like, well, like you, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take a vow of poverty, but it doesn't mean you can't be generous. Right. Um, just because you may not be volunteering with the very sick doesn't right. mean you can't bring a meal to someone who's yeah. sick or whatever. I mean, it's, there's still ways to adapt um, that still requires something of you. Like if you're doing things that are like, well, I'm going to give a little bit, but it's not really a sacrifice. Like I do think there's some things that should push us and we should kind of feel that pinch a little bit. Right. Um, and we could do a whole thing uh, with, Francis's theology, mm-hmm. like it, which I didn't, we didn't have time for. It was kind of beyond the scope of the sermon. But if, if the incarnation of God really is the, the final and full revelation of who God is and who God wants creation to be, mm-hmm. then what does that look like for us today? Like we, if everything truly does belong, um, then maybe that changes the way we view the neighbor, the other our role in the world. Hopefully it shapes our ideology. Okay. Um, but it is a, it, it will be in, uniquely expressed in each of our lives. Yeah. And again, highly recommend Reluctant Saint. It's so good. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I do want to, one thing you said in your sermon that, uh, see Francis quickly realized that Christ's call in his life was not actually about church buildings. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, we're in this space where we're wanting people to return yeah, to the yeah, church yeah. building. Yeah. So, well, he didn't. He didn't go live in the field. Okay. Like, he he built, built he built churches. Yeah. And it, when, uh, I've not been to Assisi. It's on my bucket list. But the first thing they did after he died was build this cathedral to mm-hmm. him. <laughs> you know, okay. which is kind of ironic. But like, this is home base. Okay. <laughs> this is where we were transformed and loved and listened most deeply for the Holy Spirit a lot of us. Yeah. So like it starts here, like it started for him in San Damiano. It didn't start out of the blue, but, but then that transformation is what took him out into the world. Okay. I just want to clarify. Cause I'm like people, I hope people don't <laughs> like, Oh, it's not about the church building. So I guess I don't need to <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> well, I mean, the church buildings are important, Yeah, but it's not ultimately, that's not ultimately like the, the church is the um, uh, the vehicle, the means through which we are transformed and transform others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what what uh, what is your hope um, for the common mission here at Christ United? Like, what do you? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, our so our mission statement: loving God, serving others, transforming lives. That's really that really does capture the Christian life, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. 
you know, the closer we get to um, everybody being vaccinated, everybody being comfortable coming back, I think we are re-energized once a week or however many times we're on campus. And then we go live our faith based on what we learn and, and hear and uh, sense here. Yeah. E-G-R-E. Um, and I think, you know, we've got, so we're, we're not that far away from our 50th anniversary as a church. That'll be in, uh, 2023. Okay. Gotta start planning about planning that by the way. <laughs> um, but for half a century now, this church has made a significant contribution to the, uh, to the community mm-hmm. and to the world. And our work now is to discern and live into what's gonna, what God's gonna do through us for the next 50 years. Yeah. So, um, it's all about incarnational theology (laughs) (laughs) and it, I'm just glad that we get to live that out here. Yeah. And I think as you would probably remind people, there's a lot of people as you showed in the Gallup poll every week, there's a lot of people that don't have a home. And so we've got our work cut out for us. We do. And it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We get, there's lots of people for us to invite to this incredible church home. Yeah. All right. Well, that is a wrap on Faith Matters (laughs) and uh, almost a wrap on season one. So, friends, we are glad that you have been joining us for this uh, journey. And we're excited about season two. But before we get there, we'll do a a wrap in a couple of weeks. So look for the, uh, we'll push that out like like we normally do. You'll see the notification for that coming out. Uh, But until then, have a wonderful Pentecost is next Sunday. And then Memorial Day weekend. Yes. Have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. And we will be back with you after that for a wrap on season one. God bless y'all. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Offscript. It was hosted by Reverend Chris Dowd and Reverend Reagan Gilland. Produced by Ashley Danner as a part of the Christ United Podcast Ministries. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.